0: Go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19. I'll give you a little time to get there. We don't go there often. Jay's gone there, you know, the book of 1st and 2nd Kings recently. But I decided, uh, after two weeks ago, and I addressed a, pro- a problem of worry uh, that I probably had not addressed it as I would have liked. As I thought about it later, there's more ways I wanted to look at. I was a little worried about my lesson on worry, so I thought well, I-, I need to visit it again. But did you just catch what I just said? I was worried about my lesson on worry. Uh, Worry, we are very comfortable with worry, but probably mainly because we use worry to also mean we're a little concerned about something, and there's nothing wrong with that. And Two weeks ago, we talked about a legitimate concern. We ought to be concerned about our finances. We ought to be concerned about the well-being of our neighbors, of our country, of our children. That is natural. In fact, not to be concerned about someone is wrong, Um, It's even all right to be fearful at times. Uh, On our first day up at Seattle before our boat trip, uh, Elisa and her sister-in-law were walking along a trail. I'd stay behind. And they encountered a mother bear and her cub. It was a ways away, but they'd all stopped to watch. Then one of the others that was with them said, they noticed the bear was walking now towards them. If you've ever seen videos on a mother bear around her cub, they're extremely protective, and they will go after any perceived threat. So Elisa and her sister-in-law said, we better start walking back to the car, John was in safety. Um, but you see the point that we ought to be fearful of certain things. Uh, we don't want to be foolhardy. We don't want to think, okay, God's just going to take care of this. I'll just stay here and let the bear charge. Uh, we are designed for fight or flight. God made us with this powerful emotion to recognize... A real danger and respond to it accordingly, either take it on or flee from it. And that is perfectly legitimate. But worry that Jesus addressed in John 6, where he says, Do not worry, or the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, we'll look at later, where he says, Do not be anxious about anything, is talking about something entirely different. It's a spin off of legitimate concern, but it's a sinful or wrong way to respond to life. Um, All of us who drive, we have red lights on the dashboard of our car. We have some yellow ones. There's a little yellow one that might come on here once in a while, it has a little picture of an engine. That's your service engine soon light or check engine. That just means something's wrong with your smog system when it's convenient and when you get a smog test, you can get it checked out. But if you have a red light coming on that has a little oil can, You need to pull over right away or if it has a little temperature thing. My youngest daughter ignored that light one time and her dad got to pay $2,500 to have a complete (laughs) um, redoing of the engine because it had overheated and she didn't heed what that red light was meaning. But the red light on our car should not be on all the time. The red light tells us something's wrong and we need to address it. But worry that God addresses as sinful and wrong as Kind of like a red light being on all the time of our lives. We should not walk around in perpetual fear, ready for fight or flight, because we're seeing things wrongly. So this morning, we're going to look at this problem of worry again from a kind of a different angle, and I just want to present three ways you can take on anxiety. If you know that anxiety is something you wrestle with constantly, and and you know, hey, I'm reacting stronger than i need to be i'm having sleepless nights i'm perceiving things in a way that i know god doesn't want me to but yet these things really bother me and uh, and i can't seem to emotionally regulate i can't seem to put my mind on other things i'm always overly concerned or anxious worried about things these are three ways to do it as far as taking on anxiety the way God wants you to. And I want to use this unusual uh, text of 1 Kings chapter 19 as an anchor text for this. First of all, just the background. I'm learning from Jay, give the background of uh, text, especially ones that are completely unfamiliar, and that's helpful. He's helped me a lot. In 1 Kings chapter 19, we have, first of all, the book of 1 Kings, one of the many historical books in the Old Testament. Remember, God had made this promise to Abraham early on in the book of Genesis that through his descendants, all nations of the earth would be blessed. And that ultimate descendant is Jesus Christ, as he is born through the Jewish nation and ends up being the Savior of the world. But God works through the nation of Israel, the physical nation of Israel in the Old Testament to bring about the Savior, but he's also working with the people of Israel, trying to form and shape them to be a people that follow Him. Sometimes they did a good job, but most of the time they did what? Not a good job, but a bad job. And sadly, in the book of First and Second Kings and First and Second Samuel, you have actually now two nations because they had a split. They had a divorce, if you will. You have a southern kingdom and a northern kingdom that are on a collision course, With going into captivity, God had said if you follow a sinful course, you're going to go into captivity of a foreign nation, and that's exactly where these two nations are headed. But God tried to stave off that ultimate end of captivity by sending preachers to them by the name of Ezekiel, Elijah, Daniel... Obadiah, a host of others. All those funny names, Zephaniah, that you see are the names of basically the preachers of the Old Testament. But they weren't called preachers back then. They were called what? Prophets. And sometimes they would foretell the future, not in some kind of wizardry way or soothsayer way, but they would say, this is what God's going to do if you don't repent, or this is what God will do if you change your life. And they would preach and preach and preach to the people. And their lessons would be written down. And Elijah was one of those preachers. Even though there's no book of Elijah, the book of First and Second Kings record, uh, mainly 1 Kings, his life and what he said and what he did. But he met hostility from the kings that were leading Israel a wrong direction, and sometimes their family. And most notably, this person we'll see in just a minute, Ahab and his wife Elijah. This is a picture here, the northern kingdom of Israel. That's who Elijah's preaching to. The northern kingdom and their king Ahab. There's a southern kingdom of Judah. And God is trying to prevent this disaster and he uses Elijah to stop it. But the prophets were human beings. They were not Marvel comic superheroes. They were human beings that were fearful at times. They had to confront kings and queens that wanted to do the opposite of what God wanted them and would threaten them. And what we see in 1 Kings chapter 19 is Elijah the prophet, the same Elijah that we sang about in the psalm before the lesson, Days of Elijah, going from very bold in chapter 18 where he stands up for the Lord and starts turning the nation around to now being very scared of the woman in the picture and her name is Jezebel. Because she is the wife of this king Ahab, in the picture, and Prophet Elijah has been confronting, uh, the Prophet Elijah has been confronting Abraham or Ahab, and just recently, Elijah took down 450 of the religious people connected to Ahab and his wife, evil influencers of the nation of Israel, and now Jezebel wants to get even. And what we're going to read here in different small sections and then make application is how Elijah responded to being threatened. The red light on the dashboard of his car is going to go on. The bear in the woods is now going to run towards him. And that is this woman Jezebel because she has the power of the king. And she has threatened him. And we'll see anxiety and fear in him. We'll see how he responds. Then we'll see how the Lord treats him to deal with this anxiety, and then we'll see how all these things can be applied by us. Chapter 19. Uh, Let's just read the first uh, five verses. Very concise, succinct, but it tells us a lot. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. Now Ahab, that's the king in the picture here, told Jezebel, that's the woman in the other picture, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. Let's just pause here. The prophets here are these religious influencers. They're not God's prophets. They're religious influencers belonging to the false religion of Jezebel and the religion that is dominating Israel at this time. It's not the faith of the God of Israel. Elijah took them out because of how evil of an influence they were. And Jezebel is enraged because of that. So she learns from her husband. Hey, you know what Elijah did? He killed all your people, all your influencers. Here's what Jezebel does in verse 2. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. If by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like the one, like one of them. Let's pause here. She says, I'm going after you. And may the gods of my religion deal with me so severely if you don't turn out like one of these prophets you took out. This is a death threat. That's the most serious danger of all. When someone's threatened to kill you, you are in danger. And sure enough, here's the response, verse 3. Elijah was what? Afraid. Exactly, Mary Afraid. Fearful. Bear in the woods situation here. This woman follows through with what she says. And she has no qualms about killing, and she now says, I'm going to kill you. So Elijah was afraid, but notice what it says next, and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah... He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush sat down under it and prayed that he might what? die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. I want to see the threat, and then I want to see, most importantly, the step of understanding what's going on when we're afraid. Uh, First, we notice here that he's been sent a message. A monstrous, evil person has basically said, I'm going to kill you for what you did to my influencers. I'm going to kill you, and may my my gods kill me if I don't kill you. I don't know how you make that threat any stronger. And she has the power to do it. Elijah, who was brave and confident in chapter 18, is now just the opposite. He's afraid. This emotion that God gave us to respond to a danger, to a threat, fight or flight, has caused him to do what? Fight or flight? Flight. He wants to run. It says he was afraid and ran for his life. He came to Beersheba and Judah. So he was in this upper area where Samaria was, the northern kingdom. He's ran down to Judah now. He he booked it out of there, my students would say. He he booked it out of there to get away. He's literally running away, not going behind a door. He's taking off as far as he can get from her. Because there is this real threat. And whenever worry and anxiety are with us, there is some kind of threat. We may perceive it to be deadly, or we may perceive it to really harm us in some way. Or it may actually be a real threat. Our body's responding the same way. Our mind uh, and body work together. Our mind is full of these thoughts racing. Our body responds by breathing heavily. Uh, Many times our body will go into a panic attack type mode, and if if you've ever spoken to someone who has a panic attack, they feel like they're going to what? Die. I know many people that have panic attacks that they will call 911 because they're not sure what's happening, but they feel like they're going to die. And even though the paramedics or the ER will check them out and they're fine physically, uh, they don't know that till someone else affirms they're all right. That's how bad the anxiety is is. So there's presence of a threat. There's presence of fear, that natural reaction. But the fear is taking the person a wrong direction. That's what God is addressing. It was right for Elisa and her sister-in-law to start walking away from the bear. It was a ways away. But they recognize we don't stay here when danger is present. We just get out of the presence of the danger. Fear, anxiety, and worry is where the danger is there, but we're doing everything but what we need to do. Either we're paralyzed and we don't do anything, or we run in a wrong way away from the danger. On uh, this last trip, whenever we're on land, the, the guides told us many times, if you see a bear, don't run and flail. Don't go screaming away and flail. Don't do that because the bear perceives you as something that's attackable. So we got that message over and over again. We were told just to stay still or just be calm. Respond to it with calm, cool, and collected emotions. But don't respond a wrong way. So we're talking about a wrong response here. So it's important to understand what's happening, first of all. When you feel anxiety, it's important to talk to yourself, hey, I'm very fearful right now. My mind is telling me these things. My body's reacting, either in the sweating or my heart is racing. The more you can understand your worry and what you're experiencing, the better. And many psychologists call it being self-aware. Um, I've been taught in many classes for training as a teacher, when anxiety hits, how to talk to yourself about it. You've got to tell yourself, here's what's going on. I'm responding to something I perceive is a threat, or a danger, or I think something's going to happen financially to me, or I'm, I'm fearful of the doctor because I'm afraid of test results. Things like that. Tell yourself that. Understand This is why my body feels this way. I'm perceiving a danger, but the danger may be real or it may not be. Not everything is a bear. But sometimes our emotions can tell us that everything's a bear. And you want to run and flail and respond wrongly to it. So know when worry arrives. Okay, I think when worry parks its car in front of the doorstep of your life, so okay... I recognize it, I see what's going on, fight or flight, that's okay, but what am I going to do now about it? Understand what is happening both physically and emotionally. Notice here what he does, though. Here's what happens when worry goes the wrong direction. It says he ran for his life, but pause here. He ran for his life, but at this point, Jezebel just sent a message. There's no knife to his throat, she sent a message. But he's running for his life. So the response here is an overreaction, especially compared to his courage of the previous chapter. He runs all the way to Beersheba in Judah. He kept running. He doesn't run 20 yards. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I need to think about how I'm responding. He just kept running. Uh, and then in verse 4 he went himself how long into the wilderness? A day's journey. Into the wilderness. Talk about trying to get away from your problems. They're running to the desert where there's probably going to be more problems <laughs> if you stay there. Um, that's what he's doing. That's fight or flight, overreacting. He's running a day's journey into the wilderness. Do you also catch what he did, verse 3? He left his servant, Beersheba. The guy that's the sidekick, those people there helping him all along. He said, yeah, I, I'm out of here. And apparently he sees the servant as a problem or he's not caring about his servant anymore. And he's just on his own trying to take care of himself. And that's one of the worst aspects of sinful worry. We get very selfish. No one matters. Family doesn't matter. Work doesn't matter. Responsibilities don't matter. I just got to protect myself. Have you ever seen videos of people confronting some kind of perceived danger and they'll leave their spouse behind? And, and run away, or they leave their child behind because something was threatening them, but the child was also in a perceived danger, but they only thought about themselves. Uh, that's, that's sinful anxiety or worry. So understands understands what is happening. He comes down to this bush that apparently has about enough shade, verse 4. He sits down under it, but he does do this, and we're going to come back to this. He gets down underneath this bush, and what's the first thing he does? Is the right response, even though we're not quite sure about this prayer. He he prays. He prays what? Prays that the Lord might what? (laughs) Kill him. He prays the Lord might participate in an assisted suicide. The Lord doesn't do that, but that's where his mind is, and that's how he feels. Again, you can feel awful when anxiety has consumed you. It is the worst thing in the world. And that's how he feels. Lord, take my life. He's despondent about himself personally. He says, I'm no better than my ancestors. But he's so exhausted because of the fear and the running, he does what? Verse 5, he lays down under the tree and what? Falls asleep. Sheer exhaustion. There's nothing really here spiritual, except he did pray. He did cast his care upon the Lord, even though he's asking for the Lord to help kill him. But this is what it looks like. This is a prophet of God, consumed by fear, running, absolving himself from all responsibility. He's in despair, and he's involved now in what therapists at my school call suicidal ideation. Suicidal ideation, that means you're thinking about killing yourself. And here he even wants the Lord to do it. This is very real anxiety. The threat, not so real or the danger, but his perception of it is very real. And that's the challenge of worry, what we're perceiving at the time. Well, What do you do about it? Here's the second step. You treat it. What we're going to see now is how the Lord deals with Elijah. Someone consumed with fear, anxiety, they're running, they're in despair, they want to take their own life, they don't want to live, they've abandoned their responsibilities. He's not even trying to be a prophet anymore. He's just on the run, self-absorbed, not doing anything he should be doing. Verse 5 tells us he collapsed and fell asleep in exhaustion, emotional exhaustion, in verse 5. Here's the Lord's response, we'll talk about how the Lord treated him. Verse 5 in the middle says, All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank then did what? Lay down again. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. Verse 8. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened, By that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he went into a cave and spent the night. First of all, this is not some kind of doctor's prescription for anxiety. Uh, This is just a historical text telling us what Elijah was doing, and telling us what the Lord was doing. There's no intended sermon on worry here. I I don't want to be trying to read things into the text. But I've always thought it compelling how the Lord deals with Elijah, his great prophet, who was so brave in chapter 18, is now collapsed in fear, worry, abandonment, self-despair, and suicidal ideation. How does the Lord deal with him? Does he preach him a sermon? Does he give him a book to read? Hey, here's a book: Ten Steps to Overcome Worry. Or does he get him into a, a, a small group Bible study? Uh, <laughs> be a little facetious here, but the point is: Does he do something grand and spiritual, or does he do something different with him with anxiety? Did you notice what you kept? What did you see over and over again in verse six through nine? There's a great deal of emphasis upon what Elijah. Eating, what else? Drinking water and sleeping. I thought, oh, that's not very spiritual. At times it can be. At times when you're consumed with worry and anxiety, proper rest, proper diet, Including liquids is the most spiritual thing you can do. Remember, Watson just held up the water bottle. Um, remember, fear and anxiety is a physiological response, and when your heart is racing, when you can't sleep at night, and your mind is consumed, a lot of things you will do physically can really. Bring down that overreaction, that fight-or-flight response that's like the red light always being on your car, and that's all you can think about. But you're not doing anything. You're just paralyzed by the situation. The Lord sends an angel. The book of Hebrews calls angels ministering servants, sent to those who believe. Angels did many things in the Bible, but most of the things they did was help human beings as God directed them. Most of the things angels did were helping human beings in the way that God directed. The angel comes and does what? Touches them. Makes Elijah aware of God's presence. Touches him, but the first thing he tells him is not, hey, here's a really good sermon I heard uh, on the radio, or here's here's a 10-series lesson podcast on overcoming worry in five minutes. He says, do what? Get up and eat. Get up and eat. And then God provided him what? A good, a good meal. Some baked bread over hot coals. That sounds really good right now. If you like bread like I do, that sounds delicious. Something to give him strength. A jar of water, says verse 6. And then the writer makes the point say, and he ate and drank. Emphasizing the attention upon his physical well-being. And then he did what? He lay down again. He's getting proper what? Rest. He's exhausted himself both physically and mentally, and he's getting proper rest, a good diet, and proper liquids within him. Verse 7. Angel Lord came back a second time. Okay, maybe now a, a, a new book that just came out on faith and taking on your challenges. Maybe he's going to give him a book now to read or get him in a small group study. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him. Just made him aware of his presence. Tells him the second time, get up and eat. A lot of emphasis on eating. For the journey is too much for you. He doesn't say, let's pray together about this yet. That doesn't say that at all. Just you need your strength. Do not underestimate the value of eating right and taking care of your body, as Austin said earlier, a temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit, and getting rest when you're faced with fearful situations. Some people just shut down and don't eat at all. Some people look to food to medicate, so they eat a bunch of food. It makes them feel worse because they're eating the wrong things and too much of it. Some won't sleep at night, they I don't want to take any medications, or, or I, I, just, I never get a good night's sleep. Get a good night's sleep. Whatever the doctors tell you to do, get proper rest, eat properly, regular, right meal, and take a lot of liquids in. You need to self-regulate. A lot of anxiety is emotional dysregulation that's affected by how we're taking care of ourselves physically. I've never met an anxious person that's really taking care of themselves physically. It's always the opposite, in my experience. Notice the Lord is addressing his physical well-being first. Physically, emotionally. Here, the angel is communicating with Elijah. No sermons, just communicating what he needs to do. So the Lord is not only taking care of him physically, emotionally, he sent an angel, someone to communicate with him. A lot of times fearful and anxious people, they isolate. They pull the shade, sometimes quite literally, and just want to isolate, either out of embarrassment or just that fear, that if they just close the shade, sometimes literally the danger will stay outside. Instead, the Lord hears, Taking care of him physically, emotionally, by having human interaction. Or actually, angelic interaction, I I should say. But it's interaction. You don't want to cut yourself off from people that encourage you. You don't want to not go to the doctor. You don't want to somehow just keep everything from you and just try to wait it out. That's just called being paralyzed. The Lord is doing something with him, but he's doing very fundamental things with him. Physical, emotional, and then spiritual. He sent an angel. He said an angel. So there's the presence of God here, but in the form of an angel that simply is touching him. Not slapping him around. Just touching him. And with people of great faith, that are kind of off the path. You just need to touch them. Uh, Just need to kind of remind them, hey, the promises of God are great. And I've seen you in a much better place. Let's try to get back to that place. They just need a gentle reminder. They don't need 10 sermons or rebuke. They just need a gentle reminder of, oh yes, this is how you're to respond. And sometimes they need it more than once. The angel came to him how many times? Twice. Same message. Eat, drink. You're going to need your strength. The journey's uh, too much for you. And then Elijah does it, verse 8. He got up and he ate and drank. And then it says what in verse 8? After he ate and drank and he'd already rested, he was what? Strengthened. Verse 8, buy that food. And he travels 40 days and 40 nights, getting back to the place where he needs to be. And that's what we want to do when we're consumed by anxiety and fear. We want to get back to where we should be. Right mind, right place, getting back to our responsibilities, getting back to being present for others getting back to prayer, getting back to association with other believers. That's what he's doing here, but he's been strengthened physically to do that. He he travels this long period of time, gets to this area of Horeb, the mountain of God. So he's coming to spiritual things, the mountain of God. But then he gets there and he does what? The writer says he spent the night eating right, staying hydrated, (laughs) and resting and involving himself with other people and here the person is an angel that's there staying present. That is the first line of treatment for anxiety and worry. Don't read a book. Don't try to do something mystical. Just go get a good bite to eat. Hydrate. Rest. Don't think that you have to go do something super spiritual or you need to find a preacher that's going to pray with you for three hours and hold your hand and just kind of get your body in the right place. You will need those other things later probably and there's a place for them but that fight or flight thing that's got you all on edge and not sleeping and not focused on what's most important and distracted, that's what you have to take on. That's the treatment. That might even be medications. The doctors say, hey, this would help. If it's a legitimate doctor, if it's a legitimate medicine, a prescription, do it. Don't be arrogant, say, I don't want to take medications. I just want to have a sleepless night every night. Uh, no, if there's things that help, use them properly with a doctor's care. The last one. Let's talk about prayer. Remember, it did say in verse 4 that he did pray. But he prayed for what? He prayed for uh, assisted suicide. The Lord doesn't do that. But he did pray. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Speaking of the Lord, it says, Cast all of your anxiety on him, for He cares for you. And here's part of the blessedness of prayer. You can pray for crazy things like this to God, and He will listen. God doesn't rebuke him for praying for an assisted suicide. God, rather you vent everything to Him, even your desire that God take your life right now, than do a wrong thing. God rather you say all kinds of stuff to Him and who you hate and why, why everything turned out terrible and how that, all this has happened. God will even take the blame. If you read the Psalms, God listens to a lot of blame. But that's all 1 Peter chapter 5 or 7. Cast all of your care on Him for He cares for you. Your job when you're greatly upset is not to complain to Mildred in Milwaukee, but to take it to the Lord first. Or not to run to a psychotherapist. first but take it to the Lord first. Even if you're just unloading, telling the Lord what you're feeling, that's what Elijah does. He gets very real with God. Take my life. He tells him how he feels. I'm no better than my ancestors. Take my life. He'll say it again. But notice how prayer changes things. Look what the Lord does. Right after he finishes spending the night in Horeb, verse 9, it says, And the word of the Lord, we're in verse 9 now, The word of the Lord came to him saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? Kind of like it's time to go now. You're rested, hydrated, well-fed, and you prayed. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. I'm in verse 10. Torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Did the anxiety go away completely? Not at all. And eating right, hydration, sleep, doesn't mean the problem goes away. Doesn't mean what you see as a threat goes away. It just helps you regulate how to deal with the threat. It helps you regulate how to deal with it. He's still upset. They're trying to kill me and they've killed everybody else. Notice how the Lord responds. Verse 11, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Does that sound familiar? That was this earlier verse of the song, Woe is Me. He now is singing it again. Problems not taken away. The worry's still there, but he's much more emotionally regulated than he was before. Verse 15 now, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, appoint Hazael, king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from abel Mahola to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel. Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Verse 18, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha son of Shaphat. We'll just end our text reading right here. What I see here is after Elijah prayed, things did not instantly get better. But yet he's still in a better place. Still concerned, still sees the threat. The bills are still there on the desk, if you will. The death threat from Jezebel still on the wall. But he's in a better place. He's taking care of himself physically. He's allowed the angel to minister to him. He's listening to God speak to him. Even though God may not speak to you in a prayer, he speaks to you how? In the Word. He's already spoken. And He said things like, I will never leave you or forsake you. Amen. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the, er- or the earth. Our God has spoken. In certain times in biblical history, He would speak directly to people, but He's spoken and recorded it. We have His message to us. So don't expect a, a voice in your prayers to respond. But know that God's presence is there. And notice what God is focusing on him doing. Getting him back engaged in the life of being a prophet. I want you to go here. I want you to go there. Appoint this person. Take care of this. This person is going to eventually take your place as prophet. He's getting Elijah back into the world of a human being. Back into the world of being a prophet. And that's what our God does. He doesn't let us sit on the sidelines for six months and worry and fret. He simply tells us, do not forsake the assembling of the saints. Pray without ceasing. Give yourself to study of the word. He gets us involved in the activities of life once we're stabilized physically, eating right, drinking right, exercising, rest. Then he gets us right back where we ought to be. But our mind and body are able to do that. But notice here, Elijah, even in his worst moment, knew to pray. He knew to stay connected to God, even when he's running and praying for an assisted suicide. He's still praying, staying connected to God. And God simply works out this plan of, all right, why are you here? You need to be over here. And he keeps taking him the direction he needs to go. That is the power of prayer. Prayer doesn't give you some magical answer. Won't give you some answer to how these bills are all going to be paid or how that biopsy is going to turn out, but prayer gives you the knowledge you've turned everything over to God. Paul says in Ephesians, I'm sorry, Philippians four: Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your request be made known to God. And then what? The peace of God, which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's what God does promise to do. He will get you through the storm. He will get you through the threat so that you're not always on edge sleepless, disengaged removed from responsibility. He'll get you through it won't be this comfortable ride every morning that you will get through and arrive on the other side. And that's exactly what he does with the prophet Elijah. And he will do with you and I as well. Our challenge is to understand what's going on with anxiety when it parks outside our front door. When you see the dark, black car of anxiety park outside the front door of your life, recognize it. It's here. It's going to try to mess with me. Satan's going to try to use fight or flight. Treat it take care of yourself, rest, eat, all those things, physical things, they're very spiritual, then Lord, I'm going to take this to you in prayer. And you pray whatever you want to say. God's there to listen. Vent. Get it out. The, The Lord will not let you just stay there. The Lord asks twice, why are you still here? Get back out. Get engaged. Get connected to brethren. Take care of your neighbors. Get back to volunteering. Get back to helping. Don't stay withdrawn. And the Lord's therapy will be complete in your life when you do that. There will be something new later on, but if you have this practice of handling it the right way, you'll get through the storms of this life that we sang about in one of our songs earlier. The storms will be there. Our challenges to get through them. But these things are all true of the believer, the person who's put their faith and trust in God. These promises are to the believer because they've put their hope in God, that God will be there, He will listen, because you put your trust and your life in His hands. And ask yourself this morning: is that where my life is at? Am I putting my trust and my obedience in the Lord? Have I completed my obedience? Am I faithful to him? so that I know that He will provide for me and take care of me, or am I still just kind of doing it my own way? You have to make sure your faith is with the Lord the way He's called it to be. But if it is already, and you just need strength for your journey, like Elijah needed strength for his, your brethren are here to strengthen you. We're going to sing a song to encourage you to take whatever step of obedience, of commitment you need to take. For some, it might be being baptized into Christ. Others, it might be simply... I need to do these things that I know already I need to do. I just need to block out the other voices that take me other directions and focus on what God's shown me to do in these kind of circumstances. You know what you need to do, but if you're not quite sure, we'll help you here as your brothers and sisters.